0: Amen. Would you all pray with me? Father in heaven, we come into your presence this morning by the name of Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit, asking for uh, you to come to us. We ask, Lord, that you would work today so that your name would be hallowed in our hearts and in the hearts of this world we ask, Lord, that you would send your spirit, uh, that he would take up uh, the words of Christ this morning and infuse them with power so that our hearts and minds can be receptive, uh, that we could be built up in the faith, and, um, Lord, that we could be uh, known as men and women and children and a church of prayer. And so would you would you take up uh, these next few moments Um, Instruct us, Lord, and we ask it in the name of Jesus for his sake. Amen. Amen. All right, so you're in Matthew chapter six. And let me say over the next couple of weeks, uh, I would like to spend our time together thinking about prayer. In doing so, I do have to acknowledge at the outset my overwhelming sense of inadequacy to teach you such things. Okay, so please understand I'm not coming as the expert here. It's not unlike in Luke's gospel when Jesus had his disciples have the starving crowd of 5,000 men sit in groups of 50. Doubtless, their attempt to organize the mob brought with it some expectation from the crowd that they would be fed something, right? We're hungry. Okay, sit down in groups of 50. Well, that implies that we're going to do something about your hunger. But the disciples had nothing of their own to give. And that's a big big problem and it's also the very essence of what it means to be in gospel ministry the solution was that the disciples came to Jesus who gave them enough to carry for the moment they were to take it and give what he gave them to the crowds the first hungry feasters that they came across and then they were supposed to come back to Jesus who Luke tells us kept on giving it's a beautiful picture of gospel ministry So I don't have a pantry full of preaching help concerning prayer. But Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. I think it's awesome that we just sang that uh, together. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And he who kept giving to the disciples so that the crowd can be fed will keep giving to me so that you can be fed. And therefore, I'd like you to sit down in groups of 50. We might have to add a few this morning because I have a snack for you. And afterward, the leftovers should be more than we started with. Um, So let me just uh, stop for a moment and ask. Anybody feel like they're just killing the prayer life? Like nothing to learn here. Just move on, folks. This is one of those things. We were talking about this the other day um, because at jujitsu, Joe's belt fell off and our coach was giving him a hard time. Like, hey, tie your belt. You've been at this for a lot of years, and Joe said, or maybe Aaron said on Joe's behalf. He's been at this a bunch of years, but no coach has ever pulled him aside and said, hey, buddy, here's how you tie your belt. It's just not one of those things that we typically uh, uh, pass on. It's, it's one of those base level things. You're just somehow assumed to know, and prayer often is like that. Like, oh, yeah, you'll, you'll figure it out. So I want us to, to spend some time thinking together about prayer. So to begin... I thought we would just dive into the Lord's Prayer. I thought it was awesome that we all just sort of joined in as Roy uh, read. That was not planned, and I thought it was um, really cool. So that was my plan, is we'll just get into the Lord's Prayer um, right away. What better place uh, than to start there? Uh, The Lord's Prayer in, uh, in Matthew's Gospel, it's given in a sermon that Jesus is giving. In Luke's Gospel, we're given almost the exact same thing. In response to a disciple saying, Lord, teach us to pray like John's disciples taught them to pray. We want you to teach us how to pray. Uh, well, the Lord redirected my uh, my course of action. We're not going to look at the Lord's prayer today. We're going to look at the context of the Lord's prayer. We'll get there, but we have to acknowledge first that when King Jesus taught us about prayer, he started with how it is not to be done. He started with examples to avoid rather than examples to follow. Okay? So that's where I think we should start. So let's look in uh, Matthew chapter 6. We'll read these, uh, we'll read the whole text again, uh, the more the merrier, and then uh, and then we'll think back through these examples. Num- uh, verse 5. Jesus said, and when you pray, notice he doesn't say if you pray. He says when you pray. There's an assumption there. When you pray, Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then like this. If you want to join in reading with me, you totally can. You don't have to, Um, but let's read the Lord's Prayer together. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil for jesus says if you forgive others their trespasses your heavenly father will also forgive you but if you do not forgive others their trespasses neither will your father forgive your trespasses so the first bad example if you want to write in your bible you can write over verse 5 the word affections think what Jesus wants us to avoid is our faulty, the error of faulty affections. So he starts by name-calling. When you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. Now, what's interesting is that hypocrite is an honorable term in the first century. Did you know that? If you went to your buddy in the first century and said, hey, you're such a great hypocrite, he would take it or she would take it. No, it would only be a he. He would take it as a compliment because it's a, it's a term that's an honorable description of someone um, who's an actor. It comes from Greek theater. So you've seen, um, if you remember going to theater arts and you saw the two masks and one is happy and one is sad and you always wonder, what in the world, why is that the symbol for theater arts? It's because back in the ancient days when you were in a play, you always wore a mask. Only men could be in plays, and the men would, would wear masks and they would crinomai They would speak from underneath the mask. And so if you were a good hypocrite, then you were a good actor. You were somebody who could play somebody that's not yourself. And you could speak from underneath the mask in a very good and convincing way. So the, ta- the task of acting was a task of hypocrisy, speaking from underneath the mask. Now, the question is how does that apply to prayer why does jesus call these men take an honorable term you're a great play actor and accuse the jews of his day who love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners how does this apply to prayer when a hypocrite prays they are speaking out from under a mask pretending to be what they are not it's well worth asking why are they doing this like what is their game It seems like a really lame thing to pretend, prayer, right? Uh, why Why would they do this? What are they after? Well, look for what Jesus says thereafter. Don't be like hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corner, so that they may be seen by others. They want to be seen by people. So let me ask again, what is their game? What mask are they wearing and what audience are they playing for? They are pretending to pray to God when really they are courting the honor of those for whom they really pray. Okay? They're not actually praying to God. They're praying for people, for people's sake. So the mask is they're pretending to address God when really their eyes are open looking to see, does anybody see how great I am as I pray here? This is hypocritical prayer. It's prayer that deep down is not directed at God at all, but at man. And ultimately, it does not want God to hear and respond. It wants people to hear and clap. Okay? So, what we are ultimately after in prayer is it matters. uh, The matter is paramount. Okay? In his instruction on prayer, it is not accidental that Jesus begins right here. He begins right here because You have to watch out for this, and I have to watch out for this. It is awesome when you pray and somebody says, hey, man, I just really appreciate that prayer, right? Um, Especially if you're in a family that consistently calls upon you to be the the man of prayer at at the table. We have to watch out for this. It is a dangerous and destructive game, especially when you're dealing with your own twisted heart that is as crooked as a politician's. Amen? i got a i got a wicked and a deceitful heart but let me ask you a question about this type of praying why should it not be done D- don't just think about this for a moment why would you say that's a bad idea it sh- you shouldn't speak from underneath the mask pretending to pray to god so that you could have uh the praise of man why should prayers like that not be done we might say things like god hates this kind of holiness shenanigans you're pretending and god hates that that may well be true, but that's not the answer Jesus gives, why we shouldn't pray this way. We might say, well, people will see through it. They'll spot that you're a phony. That may also be true. Uh, it kind of depends, though, because we do live in a day and age where there's uh, there's a group of politicians who want to pretend all the time like they are stalwartly protecting women's rights when all the while what they're really protecting is for those women's right to murder other women, just as long as those women aren't seen or heard or born yet okay so and that seems to fly all the time we say oh look at that guy stalwart after a woman's rights and so sometimes we might say well people would see through this kind of prayer maybe maybe not but really that's not the answer that Jesus gives we might give any number of answers about why we shouldn't pray this way but what does Jesus say is the reason why we should not pray this way listen to what he says let's let's stop and ask him why we'll interrupt him When you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Whoa, 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 Jesus, why is that a bad idea? He would answer, truly I say to you, they have received their reward. That is a devastating statement, a devastating statement. What a strange thing for Jesus to say. If you use prayer as a means to court the favor of man, Jesus teaches you that you will gain that favor and nothing else. You will get it. They have received their reward. People look at them, think they are great. This is how you win friends and influence people. Just pray in order that people may see you. They will think that you are so holy. But listen to me. If that's what you want, Jesus tells you you can have it. You can receive this reward. It's just not worth a dang for nothing to quote the man. But real prayer begins with a different affection, a different desire altogether. Jesus directs us to do different because we want something different. Don't desire the praise of man when you pray. Desire the reward of your heavenly Father. Look what he says. But when you pray... Go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. So, prayer is patterned after the Lord's instruction. Prayer that is patterned after the Lord's instruction is prayer that is offered up by faith, believing that the Father sees us and hears us, is prayer that is void of people praise seeking. And it is prayer that is saddled with a longing to be honored and rewarded by the Father. So proper prayer starts with desire. So let me ask you, what do you want above all things? What do you want? Do you want to be, uh, do you want to have the applause of all men everywhere? Maybe we should ask it this way. Who do you want? Who do you want? Let me point out two things about prayer before I move on. The first is the overwhelming efficacy of prayer, even of bad prayer. Do you know what efficacy means? Efficacy is the power to accomplish something, okay? Um, It's the power to, to make something happen. And Jesus teaches us that all type of praying is efficacious. It has power in itself, even bad praying. If you want the praise of man and you want to use prayer to get it, Jesus says the reward you sought is yours. People will think you're great. So you can have it. People will think you are the cat's pajamas. But he also says that if you pray to your father who is in secret, that father will reward you. And in the original language, he says that the father will reward you openly. So faith banks on the fact of prayer's efficacy. It actually works to attain what we want. The only question is, what do we really want from it? Do you want the praise of men, or do you want the glory that comes from your heavenly father? I just point out, Jesus is not a ba- not bashful at all in appealing to your desire to be rewarded. Isn't that comforting? Do you want to be rewarded by God? Like, are you are you thinking about when you're when you're considering whether or not to stop and pick somebody up on the side of the road? Do you think, well, do I want the reward of my heavenly Father or not? The likelihood is high. You have mortified those things, like the the desire and the longing for. Reward because we're a we're a very weird culture that's been informed by some um, uh, some philosopher named Immanuel Kant who taught that like um, if you benefit if you want to benefit from any moral action it loses all of its value and we have taken that lie hook line and sinker Jesus taught something different he said go seek your father's reward it's okay right and proper for you to say I want the Lord to be pleased with me. I want want to hear Jesus at the end of all time to look at me and say, well done, good and faithful servant. So Jesus appeals to your longing for reward. Second word about prayer before we move on is a warning of balance. Okay, We see right here that we are not to be praying for the praise of man. And yet Jesus said something else in this very same sermon that seems to be headed in the exact opposite direction. Listen to this. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but they put it on a stand and it gives light to the whole house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. Now, how do we reconcile letting our light shine before others and go into the room and shut your door? You feel that, do you feel the problem there? How do, we, how do we bring those two things together? Well, both commands to let your light shine before, uh, before others and pray to your Father is in secret. Both commands have as their ultimate aim the glory of God. So can you pray in front of others in a way that, may, that they may see your good works, including prayer, and glorify your Father in heaven. Can you do that? Is that a possibility for me to pray in front of you? Not so that you would say, man, Pastor Will is great. But that you would say, God is glorious. Can I pray that way? Amen. Yes, I can. And yes, we must. So I had, I'm had i saying this because I had a buddy one time that um, he came up to these verses. And he was right to look at his own twisted heart and say, man, I feel like every time I pray in public, I'm pandering to the audience. And so he just quit praying in public. He would not pray in front of men. And I'm, I'm bringing this up to say there's, there's balance here. Don't misunderstand Jesus as though he's condemning all public prayer. He prayed publicly. He commanded that public prayers be made on behalf of all men. So what he is doing for us is laying bare the tendency of the human heart to always be pandering to people instead of steadfastly seeking to please and honor the Father. Prayer's affection is to be the Father himself, and no other. So the first bad example, again, a bad example to be avoided is the bad example of affections, improper affections. We want the praise of man and not the praise of God. Well, the second bad example Jesus tells us to avoid is one of theological error. And I don't mean that you're going to get the wrong answer on your systematic theology test. That's not what's at stake. I mean that this type of prayer is a failure to know who God is. Listen in, uh, in verse 7. Read this with me. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. For they think that they will be heard for their many words. If you write in your Bible, circle the word think. Now it's not so much a longing or a desire. So the, the hypocrites in the first paragraph, they want they're praying so that they may be seen by others. These guys, Jesus is calling them out for a theological conviction that they have. They think something that is not true about Almighty God, okay? Um, They think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. So this error is founded upon the belief that the efficacy, again, the power to accomplish something that the efficacy is found in the prayer not in the one who is prayed to uh, it's interesting you'll notice that the hypocrites the first group they're on our team they're in the synagogue where we would be where all faithful people would be gathering in the synagogue to worship uh, to worship the Lord and Jesus starts with those people so we need to be uh, we need to have eyes on those type of praying that type of praying because we are um, we, are, we would have been on their team. But this, uh, but this type is aimed at the Gentiles. When you pray, do not heap up empty phrases like the Gentiles do. But what's amazing to me uh, is that uh, the Gentiles actually are not failing in the way that the hypocrites do, that the believers do. At least the Gentiles in this text are shooting towards the right audience. They're not playing games like the hypocritical, pharisaical Jews of Jesus' day. No, these Gentiles are were praying to their gods that they may be rewarded by their gods, but they had a faulty understanding as to the grounds for which a sinner can be heard and answered from heaven. Do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. It was common among, among both Jew and Gentile to stack up the many names of God because it feels so powerful. And surely, whatever... Uh, whatever gods there be would be impressed with my high and holy language. So um, anytime you hear somebody, uh, let us bow our heads, no, Lord God, our heavenly, omnipotent Father, progenitor of all goodness and grace. All of a sudden we realize like they're playing games. They're playing games. They think that through their prattle, through their heaping up of theological words, that they're going to be heard, that, that ultimately it's down to them. But God is not impressed by theological loquaciousness. He's not impressed by that. Don't be deceived, brethren. This type of prayer is found founded upon the conviction that it was goodness in them, not mercy in the gods, that would make them be heard. Now, in their case, it must have been so. Have you ever read Greek mythology? All of the gods are wretched all of the gods are rapists, incestuous. They practice bestiality. They are cruel, vindictive, quick-tempered. They will torture you on a whim. They are the worst. And so when you're praying to those gods, you don't love those gods. There is no love there. It's, It's like if Manson was given Superman's power, right? What kind of devastation would he get up to? If Charles Manson, the one of the most evil, or any evil man, was given limitless power. That's the Greek gods. And so your, your prayer to them is all about flattery and appeasement, right? You're just trying to overcome their reluctance to be a blessing to people. But here's the sad thing. So we understand with why the Gentiles, the Greeks, would pray this way. But the sad thing is there are countless Christians that feel the same way about our God who is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and mercies, gracious and kind. I recently heard of a woman who was teaching a group of ladies on the Lord's Prayer, and she started with commentary on the uh, the command, Hallowed be thy name. She indicated that God must be buttered up before requests are made. Stroke his back. Make sure he feels nice about you and good about you, like Like, butter him up. My God, What uh, you're looking sharp today. You fit into your pants really well. That is pagan Christianity at its finest. It's not biblical Christianity. Jesus says, do not be like them. And so we might have to say, we must not think like them either. We must not think that prayer is somehow about the goodness or the merit in me as, it, as, as much as it has to do with the goodness and grace of God. We are to avoid this type of praying because God is not like this. Prayer is not about overcoming God's reluctance to bless His people. Okay? Do not be like them for your Father. For your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. How different is the God of this kind of praying and the God of that kind of praying? How different to not feel like you have to butter up the gods, but you can come into your Father's presence knowing that he's close enough to know your needs. Perhaps the most staggering reality in these verses consistently hold out for us is the position of the one who is praying towards the God of heaven. Jesus has described God repeatedly and exclusively, not as Lord, though he certainly is Lord, not as Oh, most omnipotent, heavenly progenitor of all goodness and grace, although he is those things. Throughout his instruction on prayer, Jesus has described God as what? You tell me. Your heavenly father. Your heavenly father. Brothers and sisters, this is perhaps the most important lesson we can take from Jesus about praying that the only true praying is done by sons and daughters of a good heavenly father. This is the position of prayer which tells us almost everything we need to know. It tells us who we should be asking or who we should be seeking to please. Um, first off, it tells us who we should be seeking to please. My dad um in all of starting in like pee wee football all the way till I graduated high school, he caught all of my games, every play that I ever played in, in football, except for one game he couldn't make. And wouldn't you imagine that on that one game, I scored the most glorious winning touchdown in the history of touchdowns. It was amazing. <laughs> I played fantastically well, and, um, and yeah, I won the game. So very end of the game, they hand the ball off to me. It's this fantastic run, just juking folk and running people over, and I scored. Soon as I crossed the line, the crowd goes bananas, I was literally lifted off the ground by teammates, lifted off the ground by coaches alike. It was fantastic, and I was very glad. But the very first thought that crossed my mind, and I'm not talking about after the play was over and like after the crowd dies down. I'm talking about crossing the goal line. I just won the game. The very first thought I had is, my dad missed it. My dad missed it. Now, I wanted to please my dad more than I wanted to please any mob of adoring fans. And they totally adored me. It was amazing. So, But I wanted to do that because he's my father. Okay, Jesus teaches us to reason out from that kind of affection. Every child is hardwired to seek their father's approval. Okay, Every child. My mom is great. My friends are great. My brothers and sisters are great too. But if my dad is not pleased with me, none of that matters. Now, I'll just say some of us, unfortunately, have had uh, great moms wretched dads, wretched both, great dad. like Not all of us have had the privilege of growing up in a home where there is a good father who preaches a good message about who our Heavenly Father is. And so when you hear this, please understand what I'm saying is the human heart is hardwired for these things unless something goes haywire. Unless something goes haywire in the heart of a child, above all things, they want to see a glad countenance on the face of their father. Your heavenly father is to be your ultimate audience in prayer and in life. The fact that he is our father tells us what type of person we are praying to. So not just what we ought to be seeking, the praise of the father, the the reward of the father, the person of the father. It tells us what type of person we're praying to. Your father doesn't need information about you, from you, about what you need. Let me say that again. Your father does not need information from you about what you need. Why? Because he already knows. Now, theres it's interesting because there's two types of knowing, right? We know that God is omnipotent, omniscient. Omniscient means all-knowing. There's not a single thing that can possibly known that God does not know, and we know this. But when Jesus talks about the father knowing his own children, he uses this bizarro metaphor that he says he knows the very hairs on your head because the idea is he's been close enough to count them. He's intimately acquainted with his children, and so he doesn't need to be informed of what you need. He already knows it. He's close enough to have counted the hairs on your head. God is infinite and limitless, which means he has a limitless amount of time to be concerned for you. So when you pray, it is the goodness and mercy of God that matters, not the qualities that you bring. Your Heavenly Father is altogether good, and this is the baseline theological assumption of all true praying. But lastly, it also tells us who we need if we are to pray. Not only who we're seeking, uh, not only what we're believing about that God, but it also teaches us who we need if we are to pray. Newsflash, you ignorant American. Not all roads lead to God. Despite what Oprah says, not all roads lead to God. Somebody somewhere who always tells the truth said, I am the way, the truth and the life. And no one comes to heaven except through me. No, no one comes to the father, but through me. Okay. All other roads do lead to the same location. A devil's hell for an eternity. So forsake those roads and come to the Father through the Son. Would you be a person of prayer? Then you must be a person that comes to the Father through His Son, Jesus Christ. That great mediator who takes away our sin, who reconciles us to the Father and makes us acceptable in His sight. Prayer is not a possibility without the ministry and the mediation of Jesus Christ. So if we would be prayers... We must first come to Christ so that we can go to the Father in His name. So let's do that right now. Father in heaven, what a privilege you have given sinners who repent of their own sin, repent of their own self-righteousness, and trust in the merits of your Son, in all of His manifold perfections, that we trust Him to bring us into right fellowship with you. And now He teaches us to call upon You as our Heavenly Father. So, Lord, we we confess the, the twistedness of our own hearts. God, that, that we are so prone to desire the praise of men more than we desire Your praise. Lord, I, I pray, Holy Spirit, that You would work in our hearts so that we would long for the reward of the Heavenly Father. And Lord, we are prone to believe erroneous things about You, to believe that You are a God who only rewards good people, that, it is, uh, that, that prayer is made powerful when we are in the right. Um, it's not so, Lord. Prayer is made powerful because You are good, and You're kind, and You're patient and you love, and you are merciful, and you do not um, treat us, uh, and you do not repay us according to our sin, but you reward us according to the merits of Christ. Um, Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus and in the power of the Spirit, um, and we do ask above all things, Lord, that you would cause your name to be hallowed, We ask it in His name. Amen. Speaking of coming to the Father through Christ, this table is the Lord's table. He's provided the meal and He has set the table for us. He has summoned us by His good grace to feast ourselves upon the bread of heaven who is Christ the Lord. And God be praised. Instead of asking us what we want, He provided for us what we need. Good fathers know that there's usually usually a great discrepancy between what their children want and what their children need they want cake for dinner they need brussels sprouts we want to forget altogether our past sin and the cosmic devastation that it caused and yet here again as is done every lord's day jesus is displayed as bread and wine bread to be broken wine to be poured out so that sinners can be reminded that they are forgiven. Oh, we all need the reminder of how wretched we were in our sin, and we need the reminder of how precious was the the Lord for His free mercy and His free grace. You will never be able to love Him for His grace and mercy until you have sat hopeless in your own sin. But, oh, His mercy and grace for sinners... Mercy for every transgression, free and full pardon of sins, penalty an ever progressing freedom from sin's power in a future promise that we will one day be free from sin's presence altogether. Mercy and grace, gracious gifts of himself and his blessings that none but Christ could ever claim to have earned. Be reminded of your sin, but do not stop there. Be reminded of God's answer for your sin. Jesus was sent by the Father to be your redemption. So come home. Come to the Father's table in the name of the Son by the power of the Holy Spirit. Come, and all of you, welcome to Jesus Christ. Let me pray for us. Holy Spirit, we, uh, in the same way that left to our own devices, we do not have the power to pray um, left to ourselves, Lord. We do not have the power to rightly come to the Lord's table. And so we ask you to come. We ask you to, uh, to infuse our eating and our drinking with faith that, that the promises have been made ours by your work. And so would you come and minister to us as we eat and drink in faith? Um, God, I pray that you, the good shepherd, uh, that you would shepherd us, that you would shepherd the hearts and the minds and the souls of men, um, God. For those that are here that have um, that have shame or sin that um, that's too weighty that they could uh, they they don't feel like they could confess that to a brother. Um, would you be there? Would you be their brother? Would you would you hear their confession? Would you pardon their sin? Would you minister to them? Would you give them pardon? Would you give them hope? Would you give them mercy? Give them a conviction that these things are theirs in Christ. Uh, God, for those of us who are brimming uh, with the joy of your salvation, uh, who know ourselves sinners really redeemed and loved by the Father, Holy Spirit, would you you come and use this meal to fan that joy into flame? Uh, Would you come and would you minister to us the way we need, not necessarily the way we want? So would you come? Mm -hmm. We ask it in Jesus' name.